0: Good morning, Graham Church. I'm Jim, and it's my great privilege to be your part-time interim pastor. And um, let's bow our hearts together in prayer, please. Our Father, this morning, again, we would thank you for Jesus Christ. We would thank you for the victory of His death on the cross to completely cover our sin and give us his righteousness thank you for the resurrection and lord we do pray for easter sunday resurrection day that you would be honored in those three services that you would use pastor johnny and use us to invite people father we do pray for the hickson family we thank you for them and pray that You'd give them great grace and meet their needs. Father, we pray for your will to be done in the process, in the search for a a new teaching elder. Uh, Father, give us patience and insight and open doors. And Lord, not our will, but your will be done, please, in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, open our eyes that we might see wonderful things out of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want this morning for us to consider the servant attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ from Philippians 2. I was going back through recorded messages uh, of the past here at Graham Church and noticed that Pastor Mike, just shortly before he went home to heaven, preached on Christ out of the book of Philippians. We can't get too much of Christ, can we? Phil has in his uh, little book, 52 Thinks About God, in his introduction, this famous statement from C.S. Lewis, Mr. Beaver said, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I... Thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. I tell you, he's wild, you know, not like a tame lion. Our Lord is not one that we tell what to do, and yet he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Amen? Well, next Sunday I I would like us to look at a very unique passage of Scripture from Revelation chapter 1 that gives us in symbol what Jesus Christ looks like right now. And uh, I look forward to our Good Friday services. I I look forward to God using our invitations with the little invitation cards for Easter Sunday and uh, the special prayer meeting next next Sunday night. So I'm going to ask you to turn in the Word of God to Philippians chapter 2. If you're using the uh, Bible there in the chair in front of you, that's page 980. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And um, here is, is our simple outline as we look at a verse that says, let this attitude or let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2.5, who the Bible then gives as our ultimate example, who being in very nature god did not consider his equality with god something to be grasped or taken advantage of but but humbled himself came in the form of a man and then this blessed passage gives us the ultimate result therefore god has also highly exalted him given him a name above every name and here's the great joy that the day is coming that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm actually going to go back and begin reading in context Philippians 2, verse 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And now here's here's the passage we're going to dig into, verse 5. Have this mind, some of your translations say have this attitude among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the Word of God. Amen? First thing we want to consider is this, this doctrinal, this teaching point of a passage that clearly states Jesus Christ is is God who being in very nature God or who in the form of God did not consider his equality with God something to be in his human nature taken advantage of grasp now the Bible teaches that the church is to be taught doctrine that's simply a word that means teaching. Paul said it's absolutely essential that we be taught to systematically understand the foundations of our faith so that we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of falsehood that comes and blows. People say, Pastor, we love it when you make us laugh. We love it when you make us cry, but please don't make us think. But now the preaching of the Word involves teaching. It is a key responsibility of a teaching elder. And here is this foundational and quite frankly satanically opposed doctrine that Jesus Christ is God. I about five churches ago served as the interim pastor of a Huron Hills Church on the north campus of University of Michigan. Being a Spartan, that really tried my patience. And um, we had our two morning services and then there were a bunch of community groups uh, that were meeting over lunch and doing Bible study and Nance and I wanted to try to get around to some of those community groups. I actually had more energy back in those days. And uh, we went to a house in Ann Arbor and there were about 12 of us sitting around a big dining table and we're eating and there was a knock on the door. And I looked across at my hostess, and we just sort of both connected that at 1 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, these were Jehovah's Witnesses. We just kind of read each other's mind, and she kind of went, go for it, Jim. <laughs> so I, I went to the door, and uh, they said, hi. Very pleasant, nice people, as they're trained to be sincere but sincerely wrong and uh, they said we're from the watchtower I said oh you're Jehovah's witness I witness for Jehovah too something like that and and uh, I said if you would allow me to share with you for about 10 or 15 minutes I would like to invite you in and uh, this is a bible study group that um, with your permission is just going to overhear what we're going to say. And I I gave them permission to share uh, a little bit of of what they were doing. And, And then I said, now, can I talk to you about two Bible concerns that I have? Number one, the Bible teaches that we're saved by grace alone. Grace through faith. Not grace plus our efforts. For by grace are you saved through faith. Romans 5, 4, Now to him who does not work, but to him who believes on Christ, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Titus 2, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to us. So I just talked a minute about the fact that that you may sincerely think that somehow you need to work for the one that you call Jehovah. But it's all about accepting what Christ has already done. And then I said, if you would give me a few minutes to talk to you about this issue that we're going to disagree on, that Jesus Christ is God. Oh, they said, oh, we believe he's the son of God. Yes, I know you do and use those terms. But the scripture's going to say that he is in very nature God. So I just began to work through a little simple outline that I had memorized, and I said, I'd like to suggest to you that first of all, the very names of Jesus tell us that he's God. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name, what is it? Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. So Matthew begins his biography of Christ by saying, now all these things came to pass as it was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. The Lord himself would give a sign, the virgin would conceive and bear a son. There was a time when Jesus was being challenged terribly by the hypocritical Pharisees about who was his father. And it was in the context of who was his father? Because they didn't understand the virgin birth. He used the name of God and applies it to himself and called himself the I am. It is the name by which God revealed himself to Moses. I am that I am. Well, this resulted in the Pharisees wanting to kill him because they clearly understood what are sincere but are sincerely wrong friends and cults misbelieve they understood that he was claiming to be god by the names and titles that he used i'm talking to these people and i'm i'm trying to be respectful but but just as clear on the word as i could be i said you know jesus claimed to be god he said i and the father are one if you ever talk to a jehovah's witness they reply by saying saying yes they're one in purpose they're one in intent or unity i'm saying that's not what the context says he's claiming to be one with god the father listen to this jesus said if you have seen me you've seen the father context the disciples are saying show us god and we'll be satisfied answer from the lord jesus if you've seen me you've seen the father so I'm talking to these Jehovah's Witness ladies and I can read their mind. They're thinking, how are we going to get out of this? And I said, you know, his actions demonstrate his deity, that he is God. There is a day when he heals a quadriplegic and, and says, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees say, how, how dare he say he can forgive sins? Who can forgive sins but God? Which is a not not a bad statement who can forgive sins but God and on this occasion as recorded in Mark 2 Jesus said so that you may know that I the son of man have power on earth to forgive sins I say to the quadriplegic get up and walk and he dances out of that house and the people praise God Jesus claims to forgive sin because he's God he receives worship remember after the resurrection that the disciples are in an upper room with him and, and uh, Thomas, the Dutch disciple, the Hollander guy, he said, I'm not going to believe unless I see the wounds. I want to touch. And uh, when Jesus appears, Thomas goes, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, blessed are you. Uh, It's not flesh and blood that has revealed this to you, but our Father in heaven. By the way, the next thing he said was, you've seen me and you believed you're blessed. But how blessed are those who have not physically seen me and yet believe. That's us. With eyes of faith, we've embraced the resurrection and seen him jesus receives worship well i said there's there's lots of statements in other scripture i know that your new world translation says in the beginning was the word and the word was a god but that's a terrible translation and the bible says what it means and means what it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god Look at Romans 9.5. It says, of his human ancestry, Christ was Jewish. But, But then it says, Christ, who is God over all, has appeared to us. The book of Colossians just blows me away when it says things like, for in Christ, the fullness of the Trinity dwells in bodily form. Now if that kind of expands your mind and you're a little confused, ask Johnny. Now, Colossians says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him in bodily form. I love Hebrews chapter 1 where God the Father speaks to God the Son and he says about the Son God the Father says, Your throne, O oh God, will last forever and ever. God the Father says, You know, the world, like an old robe, it, it's, it's going to be folded up someday and cast aside. That's when there's a new heaven, a new earth where righteousness dwells. But God the Father says to Jesus, calling him God, Your throne will last forever. Well, I want to suggest to you, brothers and sisters here at Graham, that there are many more biblical evidences for the Godhood, the deity of Christ. You say, Jim, I don't completely understand that, nor do I. The triunity, the Trinity, one God eternally existent in three persons, is not understood by human reasoning but rather by obedient faith to the scriptures. Well, I, th- these, these patient Jehovah's Witness ladies are getting, uh, they're looking at their watch, you know, and one of them, one of them said to me, who are you? I said, I'm, I'm just, I'm a student of scripture and I'm the interim pastor here in Hills Church. I said, you know, the miracles of Jesus show his deity, his power over nature disease and death and finally they said we gotta go and I said and I just wish that you'll come to understand that salvation is purely by the grace of God that Jesus Christ is God and that his characteristics his very attributes demonstrate that he's God because he is called sinless only God he who did no sin became sin for us he is all-powerful omnipotent he is immutable John Stott says this is the great distinction between humans and God we change the word mutant means something that changes normally for the worse we change Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13. Malachi says, I am the Lord. I do not change. I normally love people. I'm a people person. I'm a hugger. I love what I do. Middle of this week, I got the flu. I changed. In fact, wives, have you noticed your husbands become babies when they get the flu? I'm like, Nancy, can you get me seven up? Honey, could you get me a blanket? Jim, it's right there. I know, I can't reach it. I have the flu. Okay, We change. Christ does not. Well, I'm going to say it again. These dear, sincere but sincerely deceived Jehovah's Witness ladies said, we got to go. And then the... Twelve of us, the Bible study, we just talked about what we had observed and how important it is that we be ready to give an answer for the reason for the hope that dwells within us, but to do it with humility and respect, to quote Peter. Now what I'm going to do is read to you a paraphrase of the passage that we read to begin the service. And then I want to talk a little bit about the pros and cons of paraphrases. This is from the provokingly fresh newer paraphrase called The Message, which was initially put together by Eugene Peterson and then uh, corrected and edited by a team of godly scholars. Here's my comment, Jesus Christ is God. Yet Jesus set the ultimate example of humility. All right, here's a a paraphrase of Philippians 2. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to that advantage, to the advantage of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. The message continues. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a sinless, obedient life and then died a selfish, obedient death, and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. I like to use as my regular Bible, as a source of study for sermons and life, something like what we have right here at Graham. The English Standard Version—it's what we call a literal translation. Doesn't mean that every word translates from the original exactly in the same order, but but what we have here is a translation whose goal, above all else, is just to be true to the very words of Scripture. It's it's what we call a literal translation. Uh, along with English Standard Version, there are other Excellent literal translations like, um, um, well, the New King James would be an example of that. If you love the beautiful old King James, but um, you struggle with some of the language from 1611 when it was translated, well, the New King James is, for the most part, uh, a literal good translation. Some of the words have been updated. See, language changes um, when my mother was about ninety-two years ago, two, ninety-two years old, she passed away. Went to heaven at ninety-seven. I don't know if I ever told you this. My mother was the first person I ever baptized. And um, but at about ninety-two, she said to me, "Jim, Michael Jordan is he a good basketball player?" My response was, "Mom." MJ is the baddest of all time. She said, "Oh, I thought he was good." See what just happened there? You know, the kids kids speak of something that's really really cool, they say it's sick. That's not what I had Wednesday with the flu. It means something really really good. Now, my point is is that language changes. Truth does not change. God's word is forever settled in the heavens. We believe in the inspired originals that God gave to us and then the responsibility to have responsible, knowledgeable, godly translators that help us keep the translation in proper language. Uh, the beautiful old King James One passage says, let your love be without concupiscence. I haven't concupiscenced in a long time, I don't think. I had no idea what that meant until I picked up another translation. It said, let your love be without hypocrisy. Oh, I understand that. All right. The backbone of what I think ought to be our translations are literal good translations like the New American Standard, or the English Standard, or even the New King James. Now, on, that's, those are translations that um, for some people may be a little bit hard to read, but they're, they're so good. And then on the far end, you have paraphrases, which are like this. The Message, or the Living Bible, or the Phillips paraphrase. What they are is a team of scholars attempts to usually not word for word but thought for thought put into real contemporary language what the Bible is saying. All of this to say there's a place for all of it. In the middle would be something like the New International Version which was written, uh, edited to be an easy read and yet close to a thought for thought literal translation. Now you can disagree with me on my proposal that multiple translations will help you as long as you have a good basic translation. You can disagree with me because you have the right to be wrong. I'm teasing. Just wanted to give that little background and if that's a subject that's of interest to you, uh, part of my life has been invested in trying to understand translations and how God has used what's called a doctrine of preservation, how that the Bible promises that God will keep his word for us and will keep it pure. And there's a few translations out there that are bad, but uh, many of them are beneficial if you understand the purpose for which they were written. All right, the message was not intended to be a literal translation, but rather a thought-provoking contemporary paraphrase of what the Bible says. To quote from C.S. Lewis again, the White Witch in the Chronicles of Narnia says, how stupid for someone to give his life for another. The context is that the great Christ figure Aslan Has said that he'll give himself to her if Eustace, is it Eustace or Edmund? Edmund? Edmund can go free. She doesn't get mercy. The devil doesn't understand redeeming love. But here's a passage that teaches us the very opposite. Who being in very nature God, did not consider his equality with God something to be taken advantage of or grasped, but humbled himself, came in the form of a servant to die a death, the worst of deaths, the death on a cross. Theologians call this the self-emptying of Christ. And it actually, in some translations, you'll see the passage we're looking at is italicized or indented because early in the church, it became a bit of a hymn or even a creed that they read, like the catechism that we read this morning, which is just basic truth in question and answer form to teach us doctrine. The early church considered this passage very important that people memorize and understand. The command of God is that our attitude should be the attitude of Jesus. Well, what's that? It is the attitude of humility. James says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And here's a powerful statement. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Do you want to be lifted up? Do you want God's grace and abundance? Humble yourselves. Most of you know Don Denius who's the pastor of South Church just a half hour south of here. Don says, what humbles me helps me and it's true so let's think about following the example of the humility of Jesus Christ you know Proverbs says that only by pride comes contention that is arguing so if we're in an argument unless it's a case of righteous indignation over truth well we're arguing because of pride Only by pride comes contention. And here's the passage that we read just before our text this morning. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Here's a verse I shared with you last week. I trust you know it and love it. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. The ultimate example of humility, God who spoke and billions, times billions of worlds came into being, humbled himself to go to the most despised of places in the ancient world, It was a bloody hill called Golgotha. We call it Mount Calvary. I've laughed for years over this little article that reads, A lady took my seat in church a while back. It's not that important, really. She's a very nice lady, kind and considerate. A good friend, in fact. There were several other seats available I can sit any place. The people in our congregation are as friendly and caring as you will find any place in the world. A person should be comfortable sitting any place. It's no big deal. My seat is in the seventh row back from the front of the church. I'm sure she didn't intend to take my seat. She just wouldn't do it, nor would anybody else in our fine church. It doesn't make that much difference. My seat is on the end of the row, on the north side. On your left, as you come into the sanctuary, I can rest my arm on the end of the row. It's a good seat, but I would never make a fuss about a seat. She probably didn't intend anything uh, personally by taking my seat. I would never hold a grudge. Actually, it was about three months ago when she first took my seat. I really don't know why she took it. I've never done anything to her. I've never taken her seat. I suppose I'll have to come an hour early now just to get my seat. Either that or sit on the south side. She really took it because it's one of the best seats in the house. That's why she took it. She had no business taking my seat. And I'm not going to go to church two hours early to get what was rightfully mine from the beginning. This is the way great social injustices begin. abusive people taking other people's seats in church. This is the way the seeds of revolution are sown. A person can only stand so much. Where is it going to end? If somebody doesn't stand up and be counted, nobody's seat will be safe. People will just sit any place they please, and the next thing they'll do, they'll take my parking place too. World order will be in shambles. Now we laugh at that because we laugh at ourselves. And how petty at times we get in our routines and uh, our immaturity causes us to resist flexing. Think about the Lord Jesus. Hebrews says, when you begin to grow weary and you get mentally, emotionally, spiritually fatigued, Consider Him, think about Him, who endured such a contradiction of sinners against Himself, who for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, but is now set down at the right hand of God. Remember Him. Consider His example. All right, here's the command. Let this attitude be in you, which was in Christ. Here's the example, his humility, his what we call kenosis, his self-emptying. But the story does not end with the humility of Christ or of his generosity, but with his exaltation. So I read again from this provoking paraphrase. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything, ever. So that all created beings in heaven and earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow in worship before this Jesus Christ and will call out praise that he is master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. What a day when Adolf Hitler and Saddam Hussein and every evildoer and every hypocrite forcibly bows the knee and says Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Demons will be doing that Satan will be doing that and all of human history will be culminated in our understanding how the holiness and the justice of God can come together and we will say with Abraham of old, he has done all things right or he has done all things well. I really am looking forward to the day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is kurios, Lord, to the glory of God. father now I I want to just encourage us today if 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 you're an hour short of sleep this morning (laughs) and the ice was bad driving to church maybe things just aren't working in your life for one reason or another I, I I want us to practice one of the one another's of scripture which says we are to encourage one another And so much the more as we see the day approaching. Let the good news of the gospel encourage us. Let us be encouraged that you may not be accepted by your family or your spouse or your parents or your neighbors, but you are accepted by Jesus Christ. You are accepted in the beloved one, Ephesians 1. And God is doing good things Right now, I'm, I'm going to preach, Lord willing, a future message about things that you didn't know God is doing, but He's doing in the world right now. But these horrible days in our world and in our declining culture in the United States are overshadowed by the fact that God is saving more people in mainland China, in parts of India, parts of Africa and Asia than ever before I'm just not preaching as a preacher who exaggerates I'm not speaking evangelistically I'm speaking accurately there are more people coming to Jesus Christ right now why because of the internet because there are people in North Korea that have had Christian uh, modified computers smuggled to them People in Saudi Arabia that are Muslims. People in the jungles with hand crank, And they're hearing the gospel of Jesus that have never heard before. And people are coming to Christ. It's a wonderful day for us to lift up our eyes and uh, rejoice. Listen, we should be rejoicing over the fact that God can use us now. I said this last week, but I'm going to say it again. I think Easter is the prime day to invite people to come hear the gospel. And uh, with three services, people come dressed as they're comfortable. Pastor Johnny's going to preach the cross and the empty tomb. And God can use us to invite people. And then there's the reality of heaven ahead. Set your affection on things above where Christ is, and be encouraged. Years ago, J.B. Phillips, author of the Phillips paraphrase, wrote a little book in which he contained a a story called The Visited Planet. It's a fictional story of a uh, supposedly senior angel that's showing a junior angel around the glories of heaven. And the little angel is just overwhelmed as he sees that there are billions of galaxies made up of billions of planets, their diversity, their immensity overwhelms him. Then the senior angel points to one relatively small planet and he says that is the famous visited planet. You mean the little angel said with skepticism our glorious prince visited that little fourth-rate fourth-rate ball called earth? I do," said the senior angel. "And what's furthermore, he himself became one of them, human, to show his love To them, he lived and died among them. You mean, the little angel said, our glorious prince would stoop to become one of those uh, crawling, creepy creatures called humans? I do, said the senior angel. And I don't think he would want you to call humans that in that tone of voice. For as much as it may baffle you, he... Loves them, died, and rose again for them. The story concludes by saying it was more than the little angel could comprehend. Let's bow our hearts together before the Lord, please. And with our hearts quiet before the Lord... I think we just take a moment to thank the Lord for Jesus. To thank you, Holy Father, for sending the Savior for sinners such as we are. Maybe God the Holy Spirit has spoken to you this morning about some area of humbling yourself. And not getting your own way, but his way. Maybe right now you would take a moment and just even pray, Lord, who could I try to influence to get to church or be a witness to in some way as we approach Easter? Lord, we pray that you'd help us to follow that precious servant example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you in his holy name. Amen.